Welcome to the High Tech Freedom Podcast. This is a podcast where we bring successful tech sales professionals, thought leaders, and entrepreneurs to share best practices, insights, and lessons learned with other tech sales professionals. As a sales professional, the more we learn, the more we earn. Once we earn it, how can we put those hard-earned commission dollars back to work to build additional income streams that will create the freedom we are all working to achieve? I'm your host, Chris Freeman. I'm a high-tech sales leader, real estate investor, and lifetime learner. All right, welcome back to the High Tech Freedom Sales Podcast. So my my guest today, Glenn Paulos, is the co-founder and vice president and general manager of, of Gap Wireless. And I'm really excited to bring him on today because he has decades of experience in sales, running a business, building strategy, taking that strategy and driving it down through the sales organization. And for the little bit of time that I've been able to get to know Glenn, I really, even though he's been a business owner, an entrepreneur, um, he has a sales first mentality because as you know, in this world, nothing happens until somebody somebody sells something. So Glenn, welcome to the podcast. Hi, Chris. Thanks so much for having me. It's so funny what you say about nothing happens until something gets sold. I mean, I don't know how many times a week I say that. Yeah. And uh, so that definitely resonates with me. So, well, sure. unfortunately or fortunately, I guess, depends how you look at it. My family also tells me the same thing. So dad, nothing right. happens until you sell something. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, well, Glenn, why don't we start off with a little bit of your background in sales, um, just sure. to set the stage. I were, believe it or not, coming out of college, I was a, a, a public servant, a federal uh, civil servant, sorry, what they call working for the Canadian government. And uh, I was, had a high technology uh, diploma in electronics and I worked for the Environment Canada fixing electronic stuff, right? And my boss pulled me aside and said, uh, you got the wrong personality for the government. You need to go into sales, right? So I took, I took him at his word and I, uh, I went and got a job in sales. And, um, it was, it was really the first company I applied for. And I basically harassed the owner until he hired me. And, uh, he said, geez, if you're going to, if you're going to hassle me that much to get the job, I can imagine what you'll do to keep the job. And, um, and so he took a chance on me and I didn't have any experience, obviously. And, um, I worked for them for about five years. Um, learning, uh, selling companies from around the world products in Canada, right? We were, you know, uh, their, uh, local Canadian, uh, company representative that we sold to them, right? Distributor. And, um, after about five years, I realized that there was a big difference between the leverage that a salesman had and an owner had, right? A salesman can leverage his territory, you know, and repeat customers and things like that. But an owner leverages everybody's territory and, uh, you know, and customers and what have you, right? And so as a salesman, you get paid when you sell something. As the owner, you get paid when everyone sells something. And I realized it was really key. You know, this is the perfect opportunity, um, you know, to... I had this like little entrepreneurial bug that was just gnawing away at me. And uh, and so I wanted to do it by the time I hit 30. So after about five years, I approached them to spin off a part of their technology that they were selling uh, the products into a specific, you know, uh, dedicated silo and that I would own it and they would own a bit of it and I would get to be an entrepreneur and I would get to be an owner. They would be an owner. And, and they said, no, they said, no, I don't think it'll work and you should just stay what you're doing. And so I quit. And uh, 
Um, I'd only been married for six days. I just up and quit the next day. I forgot to tell my wife, went home and said, oh, by the way, honey, I quit. And, uh, and uh, she's like, wait a minute, didn't we just get married? And um, started a business. And uh, it was based on this newfangled technology, which they didn't think was going to go anywhere, which is the cell phone. And uh, of course, that didn't didn't turn out to be much of anything, right? Like, who needs a cell phone, right? And uh, this was in 1991, right? So, and I was starting a company based on mobile wireless technology, and um, you know, it was quite a different landscape back there. Most most of the phones were still, you know, bolted into your car or in a giant Motorola bag or something like that, right? Yeah, I had one. Yep, and um, I I ran a company for quite a number of years. 15 years and uh, sold it to a public company. That com- that public company ended up basically that company that owned my company that they bought went bankrupt and it brought down all of the subsidiaries and um, all the shares they'd given me for my business sort of went to zero. And uh, in, you know, in 2007, I went from multimillionaire on paper to broke. And had to start over and started a new company, had to start uh, either get a job or start a new business. So I decided that I was, it was easier to start a company than it was to get a job. And so um, based on some of the lessons in the business that I, I had run, I, I decided I was going to do it again, do it a bit differently. And uh, started a new company, which I ran for 15 years. And then I sold it to a U.S. private equity last year. And now I work for them as uh, you know their, their manager in Canada running their Canadian operation. Wow. That's how I got here. What a journey. What a journey. Well, so you, um, so a lot of experience and I'm sure you've got a pile of lessons learned along the way. And I'm just going to assume that probably prompted a little bit of you writing a book that you released sure. last year, <laughs> yeah. never called never sit in the lobby, 57 winning sales factors to grow business and build a career in selling. Um, I mean, what, what motivated you? It sounds like you're plenty busy. What motivated you to write a book? The, so the basis of the book was when I was, you know, on the road selling where, uh, you know, bag carrying sales guy, the uh, I started watching what people were doing that were getting a lot of orders and stuff. And I started sort of copying them. And then I would realize they would be doing things repetitively. And so I started writing them down and naming them after them. And, you know, and I was able to develop sort of in some cases, funny anecdotes or like sort of lessons to be to do or to avoid and things like that. And then I started like sharing them and calling them these factors, right? And um, you know, and people would laugh and they're and eventually, you know, other salespeople that knew me said, Hey, can you come to our company and share some of those factors and things like that, right? And uh so I did that for a while. And then people were like, well, you should write a book. And of course I never did. And um, and then the pandemic hit in 2020. And I thought, and it had always been, you know, sort of needling away at the back of my mind, like, oh, you gotta write a book, and you know bucket list kind of a thing. And I thought, what better time now? In Canada, we were like really locked down. And uh, we didn't go anywhere for almost two years, right? And um, nothing to do at night, nothing to do on the weekends. So I decided, hey, let's buckle down and and get all those rules and put them into a book and uh, and get them out there, right? And um, and so I, I, I started, uh, I started in, uh, well, about nine months, I think it was before February 2022. And that's about how long it took me to get it, get it written, edited and published. So yeah, we'll have to check it out. You know, I, I think, you know, a lot of salespeople that I've met, they know things that they should be doing. But sometimes you get so busy, you get head down, you're, you're deep in the trenches of a deal. And I love those little reminders that maybe are story related, because that's the things that keep it memorable. 
um, right. that, you know, kind of help you re- remember to go, oh yeah, that, let's reinforce that. Let's go do that. Right. So Glenn, you know, really, really successful career. You've been exposed to a lot of salespeople successfully, obviously clearly successful because even when you go from being the sales rep to being the owner, your, your owner is your chief sales officer, right? They're the biggest uh, cheerleader for the company. So you worked many hours, um, you know, over your career. What do you, what have you seen that the top 10, 20% of sales reps and sales professionals do that really sets them apart from the rest of the pack? Good question. So some of the things that jump out at me, a good knowledge of the products, but not so deep that they're the application engineer. And I talk about that in the ch- chapter called greed-based learning, which we can we can leverage off in a minute because there's other top 10, you know, criteria I want to, you know, so you know, knowing just enough about the about each product so that you can sound intelligent on your feet and um and not not be stumbling, right? And um, but but more in terms of the habits and things would be things like you know, a strong and consistent communication skill and style, right? Like the way you communicate. Um, and I mean, I often attribute it to being like an actor, right? Like, you know, you show up at a customer and you could have had a, just a massive fight with your wife, right? And, you know, you could be borderline in tears or something. But the moment you hit that lobby, of course, the title of my book is Never Sit in the Lobby. So don't sit down, right? But you got to basically pretend you're acting in a movie and you're getting paid to play a part and the part is salesman, right? And uh, and so, you know, you want to be strong communication skills and style and be consistent, right? Um, the other thing I see the guys that really stand out uh, and girls, of course, um, we have actually our top performer actually is a lady right now and um, is managing your time well, you know, like, and I don't mean like, you know, it's not like rocket science, but I mean, they're consistent about managing their time where these days I'm on the road, you know, they limit their office time and they use every minute sort of to their advantage. But it doesn't mean they're working every minute, right? They're just very effective with their time. The, you know, they talk about always be closing. I'm like, always be prospecting, right? Like, uh, I always try to find, like, whenever I'm at a customer, my next trip to the customer is always set before I leave that customer. Right. I don't have to follow up them later to get it back in there because, well, the building's filled with the way we are. We're selling high technology products and things. There's usually more than one guy in a building who's talked to us about our stuff. So I'm like, hey, can you drop me by so and so's desk or whatever? And then you go there and he says, oh, I'm busy. I'm like, oh, I'm back next Thursday. Can I drop in? Yes. Boom. Now that call's set. Right. Now I know I'm there. And then I can, I can potentially talk to two or three other people and say, hey, I'm in the building visiting Bill next Thursday. <laughs> Can I get five minutes? And, you know, oh, I'm really busy. Well, how about meet me in the lobby? Right. And they're like, okay, sure. I'll meet you in the lobby for five minutes. And now I've got two calls. Right. And, um, and I haven't even left the building in a lot of cases when I'm doing this. Right. Uh, on that point, sir, just to make a comment, I love that. I love that example, though, because, uh, you know, I had a VP, uh, this is years ago, and he was great with getting on a message and just sticking with the message. And so one of the themes that he was on for a period of time was, you know, book a meeting from a meeting and then translated that into an acronym, BAMFAM. And I was like, BAMFAM, it sounds <laughs> so, it, yeah. it sounds so kind of dub, but it got stuck <laughs> oh, in your head, BAM right? Yeah. And so people book would like roll their breath would roll their eyes. Here's BAMFAM. But you know what? You know what they're thinking? Book a meeting from a meeting. Yeah. Well, I actually do that acronym thing a lot. I love that. And I'm always making them up. And of course, they evolve, they evolve over time in some cases. But um, yeah, I just love acronyms and and uh, bam, bam, that's awesome. But yeah, I do that. Uh, I do that a lot, you know. Um, and being resilient, uh, team player, 
you know, stuff like that. And always be, always be, you know, continuous learning, right? Like that kind of a thing. I always try to stay at the forefront, you know, like I'm a geek, but only to like a certain level. Like I'm just sort of like a, like a greedy geek, I like to call it in the sense that I only want to get enough information so I can translate it into the business world, you know, in a, in a meaningful way that's sort of revenue generating. I don't like to learn things just for the sake of learning them in a, in a sense, you know, like I'm not going to become a PhD level on any kind of product technology or subject matter, but I try to be well-versed in all aspects from marketing, marketing concepts, new things, new sales techniques, and, you know, new sales tools that are available, the latest accounting and ERP type tools and things for your business. They, you know, and not, not sort of, um, you know, have to be reliant on others just for basic knowledge. Right. And yeah. uh, so continuous learning for me is important. Yeah. Before we jump into the topic, I wanted to let you know that we just launched a monthly drawing for one of our insulated high-tech freedom tumblers. Now, I've been sending these out as a thank you gift to each of our guests, and the response has been great. You know, everyone has a full-size coffee cup, a Yeti, or whatever brand that they might use, but not everybody has the small tumbler that you can put your wine or beverage of choice in. And they're great for the deck beach camping or just you know just keeping your drink warm or cold now, i'm not selling these but i am excited about them so we decided to offer these up to the loyal podcast listeners by doing a monthly drawing so if you're interested go to hightechfreedom.com forward slash mug that's m-u-g and you'll see a picture of the tumbler and you can enter we'll just collect your name phone number and email and if you do win we'll then follow up and ask for your mailing address so we know where to send it if you don't win, your name stays in, so you don't need to re-enter. You know, I, I, you, you touched on the point about smart learning, you know, greedy learning, basically focusing on the stuff that matters the most in order to really move the kind of the sales productivity process along. And I, I know I actually... This is a while ago, but I think back to when I was a new rep, I really struggled with this idea that I felt like you know, I was younger, so I felt maybe a little insecure, but I felt like I had to learn it all to really do a good job in front of the customer. And eventually, you know, I kind of connected the dots. It's like, you know, I've got people, if I need to go deep, right, there's engineers that'll go do that for me. What matters is what's going to resonate with the customer? What can I connect back to some business value? What story can I tell to get the conversation going to start to uncover some of the unstated or sort of hidden pain points that they're not necessarily talking about, you know, latent pain, as you, if you will. Right. And I think that's, you know, that is one of the hardest things reps deal with in a highly technical sales world is, yeah, your SaaS offering may have like 40 great things it can do, but what's the one that matters to that customer today? That's what you yeah. need to go focus on. In fact, right. I had a rep, a funny guy. He was a number one rep one year, number two, another year. He, hated going to the internal training because, hey, I'll learn this when it becomes relevant to my deal. And to his credit, you know, he was so laser focused on the deals and then learning what he needed to know to progress that deal. And it worked for him. That's the basis behind greed-based learning. The chapter of my book, Greed-Based Learning, everyone's like, what does that mean, greed-based learning? What do you mean being greedy and whatever? And it's it's all about learning the technology at the exact moment that you need it to make money so that your greed kicks in People are like, I don't know, how does that work? That doesn't make any sense. And I'm like, okay, well, let me give you an example. When was the last time you bought a car, right? And I mean, I'm not a car guy, but 
uh, you know, I drive a car, I have a nice car now and I like it and I love it and whatever. And, but I don't particularly know anything about it per se, except for every four years when I get a new one. Right. And when I get a new one, for some reason, I be, I'm able to give my wife a litany of technical specs that pertain to three or four of the top vehicles, depending upon my age and budget at that time of, of whether the Ford, Chevy or Chrysler's, which one's the best, all the features, the, the engine, the braking, the torque, the this, the that, you know. And then, you know, of course, now I'm convinced, you know, I'm convinced here to let me get a Mercedes or a BMW, right? But, but nonetheless, I'm able to instantly absorb all these facts and, you know, and, uh, and sort of sell my wife on which one I want and why it's so important we get the Mercedes. And then, of course, I promptly forget it all later. Once I've gotten the car I want, I move on and to the next thing. And now it's the, you know, you know, I don't have one of these, but if it was a jet ski or a boat or something like that, you know, I mean, uh, I'd know why the Yamaha was better than the Bombardier or the, you know, and, and I apply that same idea to, hey, this instrument here, we don't sell a lot of them, but this guy's interested in it. And I'll call the, I'll call the FAE, the application engineer. And I say, look, what's the top five things that I just need to know across the top so that I can just sort of sound intelligent. And as we get deeper, I'll bring you into the conversation, right? And you do that. And, and because, you know, there's lots and lots of money on the line, for some reason, I find myself able to, able to be, uh, remember it and absorb it. And also the same thing where the, the technique kicks in is when, your interest in a football game when with the difference between when you do or don't have five bucks riding on it, right? Like I actually don't watch a lot of football. I do go to Canadian football games, but there's there's not as many as in the US. But uh but I mean if I have five bucks riding on the game, I'm glued to the set. I know every you know every play that's happening, every mistake that gets made. And um it, it really works well when you have a lot of products to learn. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. yeah especially in a bigger company. Yeah, I could see yeah. how that makes sense. Well, Glenn, you also, when talking about what makes reps great, you talked about uh, resilience. And, you know, sometimes I think that is not talked about enough because it's not all great, right? You're going to have really tough times. You're going to hit roadblocks. You're going to be down. I mean, what are some of the things you've done or maybe you've seen other reps do over the years to really bounce back from a tough time in a sales process or a quarter or even a year? Yeah, so the whole resilience thing is built into sort of my the part of my philosophy that I shared with you uh, when we were talking before about being a pleasure to do business with always, and that means even when you've lost a deal, right, or you're you know, or when you're struggling for you know an economy or a quarter or something, you know, a year or what have you, right? You know, a lot of people, you know, they've experienced it where the salesman's nice until he's not getting the deal, right. and then he doesn't become so nice. But then you're disinclined to ever want to call that person again, you know, for something else, right? And um, I, I always try to be a pleasure to do business with my customers, regardless of of the outcome. And so, how do I be, act resilient in the face of losing? I've had customers where, hey, I'm sorry, you know, we have a corporate contract with vendor A, and I mean, yes, your box is a bit better, but you know. On the margin, we have to give them first crack at all business to get our rebates and our this and our that, whatever. And it's like, okay. And I mean, now if I figure that out halfway through the deal, I'm gonna I'm gonna recuse myself from all activity from that point forward. It's like you need a quote, fine, we'll send you a quote. Have a nice day, click by. And I'm not mad about it or night. I'm nice. I get the the quote person to send them the quote. But if I know they're buying brand A and I'm just keeping them honest, 
then what I do is while the while the salesman for Brand A is working on getting his deal, I go to his next customer and I go and get that deal before he has a chance to get there. Because he can't be in two places at one time, right? So when the moment I realize things are go- not going my way, I try to remove myself from that situation and cut my losses and go to the next deal where I can focus my positive energy on, you know, where I can be positive about the deal because it's new, right? And I have a chance of winning it. And as the the more closer I get to winning it, the 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 more I dig into it. But the moment I figure out I'm going to lose it, it's a it's a finite moment in time where you actually know. But what I don't do is fly the, the engineer in from the factory to help get the deal when I know I'm losing it, right? Those things never work, right? And so I save that money and then I go and I find the next available customer and I focus on that. That's one of the ways I'm resilient. The The other thing is that um, when you're having a, like a bad quarter or something like that, the number one way to improve your mental health and your, your state of mind is actually to go visit customers. But it's counterintuitive. Because salesmen work into this like negative cycle of sort of being stuck at home, feeling depressed and, oh, no one's buying anything or whatever. And that's not true. It's like categorically impossible that no one's buying anything, right? And, you know, if something's down 50%, well, then 50% of them are still buying, right? right. And, you know, and so the best place to be when you're a salesperson is in front of customers. So even, even when it, your body's telling you, hey, Go be depressed. The best thing you can do is go make another sales call, and mm-hmm. um, and that's some of the ways I act resilient in the face of of um, the challenging times. And so, if it's a one deal, I go find the next deal and I focus on that, you know. And if it's a bad quarter or something like that, I focus on ways and means of staying in front of customers, you know. And one of my little rules I love sharing in the book as well is called always ask for a mini tour. So when I get to the company, I'm saying, Oh, can you show me a little, give me a little mini tour? And they're like, what's the mini tour? I go, it's a tour that's mini. I just want to see your new lab, your new warehouse, your new facility, your new production yard, your new yard, your new, whatever it is you sell, right? It doesn't matter. Right. I, a lot of times I talk about forklifts and tow motors and stuff and selling to warehouse managers and, um, you know, show me the new warehouse, show me the new loading docks, whatever, get me in and show it to me because on the way to, to the uh, to the mini tour of that little part of their building, you're going to see the competitor's products. Whose t-shirts are they wearing with the logo? Whose coffee cups are on the desk? And you get to practice one of my other favorite rules, which is never forget a face. Where when you're in your car waiting to come into the lobby to not sit down because we never sit in the lobby, right? You, you do what I call re-remembering people's faces. So you go through your phone, you go to this company, you know, Acme, Acme Consulting or whatever. You say, hey, I know there's four people there that I've met. Sally, that's the redhead, right? Bob, that's the short guy. Sam, that's the tall guy. You know, what, whatever it is you can, and, and you go to their face and you re-remember, you pull it from your old term memory to your front memory. So that when you're walking to, if you bump into those people and they say, hey, Glenn, good to see you. You don't have that like momentary lapse where they know you forgot their name. Right. You want to have it instantly on the top of your tongue. Sally, how's it going? And they remember that. And the next time they see you, they go, you know what, Glenn, you're always a pleasure to do business with. That's what they think. Right. And, and, you know, even when they don't give you the order, they're happy to see you because you don't make them feel uncomfortable. Right. So, yeah. Well, you, you mentioned a couple really great, great points there. And, um, you know, I've always, I've always loved that, you know, when you're, walking from the lobby to the meeting room or you take a detour and you go on a little mini tour like that. 
you know, besides the people that you see, also that that hallway kind of casual conversation that you have, you know, it seems like the barrier goes down when you're sitting at that conference room table and you're having a right. serious business discussion. It totally changes when you're just kind of chit-chatting in the hallway and you could pick up little things, maybe work in a question. And then, you know, in our world, especially, you know, as we shift more to software, you don't see this as much. But, you know, when we were selling, let's say, hardware and boxes and so on, you're walking down the hall and like, what is that stack in that pile of the competitor's boxes right there? It's like, uh oh, you know, we didn't exactly. know we were at risk. Uh, exactly, Mundo. That's what I, that's what I mean, right? And you're not going to see that until you get behind the lo- the lobby doors and into the building, right? And uh, I love that. Well, you you also touched on something about the um, oh, and just I'm sorry, I lost the question. That's okay. You said something that I wanted to key on, so maybe you'll remember it while I just tell you the quick story, which is the what you know when you're when you're uh, walking through the hall and you're sort of having this um, less stressed conversation or what have you, like you said. The, I have another chapter I love in the book called um, Implied Familiarity Also Breeds Contempt, right? And where, I don't know if you've ever heard this saying, but it's called familiarity breeds contempt, right? Where hyper familiarity with someone can actually cause you to like people's, you know, like you chew too loud, you snore too loud, you know, like those things make people feel contemptuous, right? And, uh, you know, and um but those are obvious and what have you. So, but, but what I learned was uh, through a, uh, a hard lesson with implied familiarity also breeds contempt where, so the, the, the story was the guy had this photo behind his desk and he was holding like a fish, right? With another man. And they were all bragging about this fish thing in the photo kind of thing. Right. I'm like, Oh, you know, you're fishman. Oh, da, 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 da. And like, you know, Maybe we should go fishing sometime or something like that, right? And he turns around. And he's like, "Oh my god!" He goes, "I forgot that photo was even there." He goes, "That's my ex-father-in-law, you know, of my wife. We're divorced now, divorced from hell. I hated that guy. I hate fishing." Jesus reaches up, grabs the photo, tosses it in the gra- garbage, and now he, and I brought back all these negative thoughts to this guy because I implied that I was familiar with him enough to ask him to go fishing instead of saying, what's the story behind the fishing photo? Right. And he's like, Oh damn, that's old. Get, chuck it. Right. Yeah. And and just move on. Right. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's always good not to be overly familiar. Let's go golfing. Let's do this. Let's do that. Like you, you need to genuinely figure out what people are like before you make those overtures. Right. And, um, Go ahead. No, that's a great, no, that's a great, great point. You you talked a little bit about, you know, getting to know your customer and staying engaged even when there's not a deal. And, you know, I I think the the example I was going to give was I worked with this rep one time and God, what a great, he was such a great guy, just a good, genuine human being. And he, he was at a football game with his kid, uh, an NFL game. I think it was a 49ers game. And uh, the customer was talking to his son, who was, I don't know, let's say middle school, maybe uh, eighth grade. And the customer says, you know, kid, you know what I love about your dad? He calls me when we're not buying anything. Right. You know, and this guy just, you know, he truly valued those relationships. And, but, you know, kind of flip it around. He spent a lot of time to make that happen. I mean, it's not like you can just, uh, it takes work to continue to nurture those relationships the coffees, lunch, a dinner here and there, a phone call. You know, prospecting isn't always cold call prospecting. Sometimes it's just prospecting back to the people that you've, you've talked to just to check in. 
and, yeah. you know, keep that familiarity going. So, you know, that they like golf and then you can offer up something that's a little bit more intentful right. versus just randomly throwing out stuff. Yeah. So how do you do that? If that I don't know if you're going to ask me that question. Well, let's talk about I mean, it. So how would I, how does one do that? Right. Well, so I start small, right. And, um, the rule I, for that is that I apply is uh, something in your hand and something in your mind, right? And so when I show up to a customer, I always have something in my hand and something in my mind, right? And so a lot of times, and I'll get to the how I stay in touch in a second, but I mean, if I'm showing up to a customer, maybe it's a quote or literature or something like that, that I'm handing to them so that I can, for the basis of the meeting, and I have something in my mind, talk about the deal, look at the quote, what are you thinking, blah, blah, blah. But oftentimes, uh, what I've also got in my hand or in my pocket really is a, you know, a low-cost trinket of the moment. They're very big on trinkets of like, uh, but, but, and also spending the time finding, you know, interesting and high-quality trinkets. Like we have this six-way pen that's a level, it's a ruler, you know, it's a pen, it's a soft iPad thingamajigger. And I mean, we, we buy these by the thousands. Right. We also have, um, we have new corporate colors now. They're blue, but, um, we have this, the screwdriver. Right. And we, well, I always have things like that. Um, we also have mouse pads and things like that that we, and so what I'll do is I'll have a stack of those and I'll say, Hey, look, you know, I also wanted to touch base with Jack, the guy who at the baseball game, right? Or football right. game. And could you swing me by his desk? And, you know, I just want to drop off the pen and, you know, and say hello. No problem. He can walk me out and. And then get Jack to take me to Sally. Sally takes me to Sam. Sam takes me to Bob. And I drop them off. And I'm just, you know, and then that's the small, the, how I do it in a small way, a measured way, because I can't take everyone out to dinner. I can't be out to dinner every night or lunch every day. And and then, you know, you have to use your best sort of sort of prospecting skills just to inquire if it's just a hello or if it's, hey, any problems you're working on today that, yeah. you know, have my name on it, you know, that kind of a thing. Right. And uh you know, and I mean, through body language and rapport, I'm always like implying that I don't, I'm never a nuisance, right? I don't, I'm hyper focused on not being uh, a pain in the ass and uh, not being difficult or hard to get along with, right? I can instantly tell where I am in the guy's psyche, psychological <laughs> moment of the, of the day. This guy's too busy. Here's a pen. Gotta go. I'll see myself out unless you need to walk, you know, whatever. No, see yourself out. Okay, bye. Have a nice day. And I'm out of there, right? If he's calm and relaxed and drinking a coffee, maybe I get him for a couple of minutes. I can ask him to take me to Sally, whatever, right? And uh, and so, and then, uh, you know, with other customers where there's more money involved and things like that, I try to create create re repeat practices, like, I, uh, like where I'm always in a building in a certain gate. And, um, and so I have the opportunity to see those people. And then certain customers warrant lunches and things where there's a true rapport. I hate going to lunch with someone where I don't have rapport. And then it's very difficult, right? The conversation. And, you know, you're trying to make random small talk. You don't actually have any rapport. So you don't know if he's a fisherman or a golfer or a baseball player, or, you know, a hunter. Like, I mean, so I'm not going to take random people out to lunch as a prereq like sort of precursor to thinking they're going to buy from me or whatever mm -hmm. right for me lunches and things like that are rewards for past friendly behavior and you know uh they're genuine right and um and i assume yeah. there's some people that you like that you want to take to lunch yeah. and so you know it's more enjoyable for you well glenn um man we could uh, yeah we could talk for a while and i'll definitely pick up your book uh, you know i like how you think 
If uh, I guess last question is uh, as we get uh, close to wrapping up, if you were to go sure. back and give yourself your younger self some earlier career advice, I mean, you've had a good, long, productive career. Uh, what's one thing you would tell your younger self to maybe think about or do differently or do more of? Well, the, the, there's a chapter in the book, which I always love to tell everybody at, at, at this exact moment, which is it's t- the title is you only get forever to make another impression. And so, so often people remember what their mother said, which is don't, don't forget, son, you, know, you only have to get one chance to make a first impression, right? That's true. But also you get to make a second impression and a third impression. And so the story I reflect on in the book is the, the, the worker that, you know, uh, where the sales manager coming in and he walks by the desk and he sees the guy was on Facebook and he hears your footsteps. And as you're walking by, he all tabs to the CRM, right? And you're like, oh, what's going on, John? Oh, yeah, just checking on contacts, you know, whatever, right? And, you know, and then a week later, you're just having me walking by his desk again. This time he's on Instagram. He all tabs over to the CRM. Oh, just busy prospecting. You know, that guy is now forever a bum, right? And so the rule is that for young people that are building a career is always be building your career. There is no off. There's no off switch. There's no off button. You know what I mean? Obviously, if you're on lunch, you're more than welcome to do whatever you want in the cafeteria, go out to lunch, do whatever. When you're at your desk, you are their best employee at all times. When you hear the boss walking by, stop and ask them a question, which makes them seem like you're constantly working the best deal in the, for the business at that time. There, the, you know, don't look at your Facebook at work. Don't look at Instagram at your work. Don't load it on your machines and whatever. Don't do it. Because when you make those impressions, they're forever. They, they, they're lasting impressions on the people. And a, a great example of where you can best display it is at trade shows. That's where you see the true character of your people. Is that trade shows because there's lull times in trade shows, right? And so, and this isn't that people are 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 exceptionally bad or anything. It's just that the alternative of the people that do it well stand out so much. And so, essentially, what I always tell people, what I learned was the trade show that it goes time goes lull. The boss is there, the FAEs are there, right? The equipment's all set up. I go to each FAE and I go, look, teach me the top five things on this latest product. What do I need to know? I don't sit down in the booth, right? I never sit in the lobby. I never sit in the booth, right? If I run out of FAEs to talk to and the the boss doesn't have any more mentoring to do or whatever, then I go stand in the aisle and I pull people in. And so when it comes to measuring what's going on, the boss is like, oh my God, that Glenn guy, he's in the aisle pulling people into the booth and Jack is over there sitting on a seat. You know, this guy makes twice what that guy makes. This is the guy I need to promote, right? It's always about making an impression that means that you're the next pro- choice that guy wants to make. When it's time to put big the next big account to a person, he's going to give it to you. When there's a promotion due, he's going to give it to you. You're going to be the front runner. And people quite challenge me on this or whatever, but I've seen it work in my career. I've seen it work in other people's careers. And um, through this those techniques, I've got a couple examples in the book where I, there's people with with no call with no high school diploma that drove a tow motor for a living that are now making well over 100K selling high technology products with literally no education and one of the top salesmen in their company. Just through a series of mentoring and following rules like you only get forever to make another impression, read-based learning, how to, how to learn the products, how to stay on top of things, right? And, um, and so that's my advice is follow that rule.
Yeah. That's great advice. A little bit of hustle, a little bit of activity, you know, and, and consistently. Yeah, exactly. Well, Glenn, um, I know that uh, you're getting ready to launch a new podcast called yep. uh, Profit Powerhouse. Is it uh, live yet? Uh, yeah, it should have been live uh, actually today or last night. And uh, I actually hadn't checked this morning. But um, yeah, like this week, it goes live and um, the interview start, starting this week and it uh, should be published. There's an inaugural uh, episode and then they should start coming live next week. And uh, yeah, so I'm excited about that. I've been on this side of the microphone for a while. And now I get to interview people like you. <laughs> Now, well, you'll do great. So my understanding is you're interviewing entrepreneurs, sharing yeah. their, their expertise, but their stories, their journey. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Right. Yeah. Well, if somebody would like to reach out to you and get in touch, what is the best way to connect up? So uh, my website is glenpoulos.com. And from there, you can, like, you can, or I can go to LinkedIn and type in my name. And uh, LinkedIn is really the fastest way to get a hold of me. You can message me on LinkedIn. I'm on there a lot. And uh, that's where I'm most active. But if there's you know, uh, you can contact me on the website as well. And um, I'll be happy to talk to anyone that has any questions, comments, or uh, wants to wants to talk about anything. So, All right. And we'll put the LinkedIn link in the show notes. Glenn, really appreciate your time today. Thank you. Thanks, Chris. Thanks again for joining us today. To get more sales and real estate tips, you can subscribe to our newsletter at hightechfreedom.com. You can also join our private Facebook and LinkedIn group that is exclusively for sales professionals. If you found a nugget of good information in the podcast, please subscribe, give us a positive rating and write a review. If there is a topic that you would like us to cover in the future, please send us a note through our website at hightechfreedom.com. Until next week, make this your best week ever. Thank you.